You're with KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. and time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. Although California produces millions of tons of hazardous waste each year, there aren't many sites that can process it. The California Report shares a CalMatters story about one of those sites and how the community of Los Nietos, where the site is located, is affected by it. After local news and regional weather, Joyce Miller takes us to the Crown Point Events Complex, where In Concert Sierra held a groundbreaking ceremony on Tuesday for its planned performing arts center. Al Stoller closes out our newscast with a conversation with Bethany Wilkins of Yuba Harm Reduction and Toby Gavin of Nevada County Public Health. This is the California Report. I'm Avi Bolaños in San Francisco. COVID cases are on the rise in California. According to the state public health department, hospitalizations have jumped more than 80 percent over the last month. Although the numbers seem high, they're still far lower than previous COVID-19 waves. In L.A. County, for a fifth consecutive week, COVID cases are up. LAS senior health reporter Jackie Fortier has the latest. The amount of coronavirus in L.A. County wastewater has more than doubled since early July. That sounds scary, though it's still well below last winter's peak. That said, the average of 512 daily reported cases is a nearly 35 percent increase over the week before. Reported cases do not include home tests, so it's fairly certain that the actual rate of COVID infections is much higher. Statewide numbers lag behind a couple weeks, but paint a similar picture. Since July, more people taking COVID tests are positive. It's now over 13 percent and trending up, while the number of people in the hospital with COVID continues to grow. Almost all the circulating strains are descendants of Omicron XBB, which is what the new COVID vaccine this fall will target. The shots will likely be released next month. Meanwhile, the same health advice applies. Get tested if you think you're sick. If you test positive, stay away from other people. And masks are still recommended, especially if you're high risk. About 11 people in California still die from COVID every day. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Pacific Gas and Electric has begun shutting off power for more than 8,000 customers in Northern California. It's all part of a scheduled public safety power shutoff due to increased fire risk. This is affecting smaller rural areas, mostly on the west side of the Sacramento Valley. California produces millions of tons of toxic waste each year, but the state's relying on a shrinking network of aging sites to process it. CalMatters Investigations reporter Robert Lewis brings us the story of one of these sites and the community next door. Okay, so I'm going to uh, walk you through our our normal tour. At the edge of an unincorporated community southeast of Los Angeles is a company called Fibrotech. David Clark is the plant's manager. You can see storage area, and this holds acidic, hazardous waste. Fibrotech's specialty is recycling corrosive liquids from the tech industry. They also make chemicals for water treatment plants from old cans. So we take that scrap. That's somebody else's scrap, and that's valuable raw material for us. It's one of only about two dozen commercial sites left in California that can take waste labeled hazardous under federal law. Now, regulators are proposing to grant the company a new operating permit. 
But that's a concern to some residents of Los Nietos, a low-income Latino community just 550 feet northwest of Fibrotech's hulking tanks and tangle of pipes. On a recent afternoon, several longtime residents gather on a shaded patio to talk about their industrial neighbor. Jaime Sanchez offers instant coffee and a bag of pan dulce. Yeah, you'll like that one. That one's called a cuerno, a horn, a bullhorn. The talk quickly turns to the smells of living near an industrial area. Jaime's daughter, Teresa Sanchez. All the kids would be out playing, and the next thing you know, it would start smelling. And our our grandparents, because our parents were working, so the grandparents were, come inside, it's time to come inside. It's difficult, if not impossible, to blame the conditions on any one company. This is an industrial area, and has been for a century. But Fibrotech has a troubling record. Toxics regulators have found serious violations at the company in 19 inspections since the mid-90s. Given that history, residents don't understand how regulators could grant a new operating permit. Rose Gutierrez says officials seem content to let her neighborhood be the state's toxic dumping ground. If it was in an area where there were money, they have lawyers, they, no way, there's no way it would be going this long. Of the permitted hazardous waste businesses left in the state, Many are in communities of color with high rates of poverty. Most have a history of pollution on site and violating safety laws. Angela Johnson Mazaros is a managing attorney at the environmental law organization Earth Justice. Because it can't be that a system that's held together at best by, you know, bubble gum and bailing wire is the thing that we're doing in the developed nation to manage hazardous waste. But it's really hard to open a new hazardous waste facility, economically and politically. That's why advocates think California allows older, troubled sites to stay open, sometimes in a state of limbo. Fibrotech has actually been operating on an expired permit since 1996. That's legal. The state allows companies to keep using an expired hazardous waste permit as long as they're trying to get a new one, but advocates say the delay is another sign of weak oversight. Again, Johnson Mazaros. And there's no urgency around making sure that they hold those facilities to account. And so therefore, years and years and years and years can go by with no one really prioritizing the needs of these communities. Fibrotech officials defend the company's record. They say they've cleaned contamination on the site, which they blame on other companies. And they point to health assessments that say there's no significant risk from their operations to the community. David Tate is the facility's environmental health and safety manager. We completely understand the concerns by the community, but we believe that we have thoroughly uh, you know, addressed those concerns. State regulators wouldn't do an interview, though they did answer questions in writing. They said they don't consider the number of remaining sites taking hazardous waste when making permitting decisions. They expect to make a final call on a new permit for Fibrotech in December. For The California Report, I'm Robert Lewis in Los Nietos. Support for The California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with more than 850 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved children and youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. 
And that's the California Report for Wednesday, August 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In local news, two fires started north of the Yuba River last night. The first was the Buttermilk Fire. It was reported just after 10 p.m., close to the South Yuba River State Park. According to Yubanet, that fire grew to four acres before being contained around 1 a.m. this morning. The second fire, dubbed the Fawn Fire, was reported around 11 p.m., burning near Highway 49 between Pacheco Road and Tyler Foot Crossing Road. Forward progress was stopped a half hour later and mapped out at a quarter acre. And now for the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 63. Increasing clouds with widespread haze on Thursday and a high near 90. Thursday night brings a 20% chance of showers after midnight, but otherwise mostly cloudy with a low around 58. Friday will be partly sunny with a high near 70 and a chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. Tonight, Truckee and Lake Tahoe will be clear with a low around 45. Thursday will see increasing clouds and widespread haze. Thursday's high will hover near 74 degrees, dropping to a low of 46 on Thursday night, and on Friday, a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms after 11 a.m., with a high near 60. The Truckee and Lake Tahoe region will experience a cold early season storm just in time for the holiday weekend. For Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, widespread haze after 11 p.m., with a low around 63. Hazy conditions will continue into Thursday, with increasing clouds and a high near 94. Thursday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 63. Friday in Sacramento will be mostly sunny with a high near 77. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. In Concert Sierra was originally founded as the Twin Cities Concert Association during a meeting at the Bret Hart Inn in downtown Grass Valley back in 1946. In Concert Sierra's programs have primarily been held at the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but soon the organization will have its own performance space. On Tuesday, the board of directors and staff invited the public for a groundbreaking ceremony. In attendance was KVMR's Joyce Miller, and she filed this report. This is going to be truly an epic gift to the county as a whole and its people. This county already has a great reputation for its music and arts and theater culture, and this is going to raise it just another notch. It's also going to be a great economic driver. So how often you get all of those great things together in one big project. Congratulations to this whole group, and I can't wait to see it built. That's District 1 County Supervisor Heidi Hall speaking Tuesday afternoon at a ceremonial groundbreaking for In Concert Sierra's planned performing arts complex on Crown Point Circle in Grass Valley. The crowd for the celebration was kept fairly small because, after all, it's an active construction site. There was a sense among those in attendance that they were seeing a long-hoped-for dream finally coming to fruition— and that in some kind of cosmic way, it was meant to be. The classical music organization, with roots going back to 1946, has been having most of its concerts at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It made previous attempts to establish its own concert venue. 
Ken Hardin, in concert's artistic director since 1999, gave the crowd a brief history of the endeavor. For me and for a few other folks in the room, this project, this effort started in 2015 when we had a project going in Penn Valley. We, we engaged with an effort down there. Some of you will remember that. That effort did not succeed for a variety of reasons, but it was the catalyst for a very generous gift that came our way in 2018. So in about, we all know what happened in 2020, and so about a year and a half in, we started in again looking for a site where we could either build a concert hall or renovate a building to create a concert hall. And in 2022, we located this building, and it was available for a song, and we wound up negotiating to get it for a jingle. <laughs> that initial gift in 2018 allowed us to buy this building outright. So we own this building now, there's no doubt. Transforming a 42,000-square-foot business park into a complex encompassing a 500-seat concert hall, a small theater, and a conference center is a huge project. As Hardin explains, In Concert Sierra had owned the building literally for just hours last March when it received an unexpected boost, courtesy of an epic snowfall. Blame it on Mother Nature, or maybe climate instability. We're here today to acknowledge that um, some crazy things happened in this project. <laughs> so, like we said, we were able to buy the building outright within 36 hours of buying the building, the roof began to collapse. And we thought at first, as you would, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And then we actually pretty quickly started thinking about it, partly because of the first collapse being right here, just on the other side of where you're standing in this first open area, was right where the concert hall was going to be. And we we're going to take the roof off anyway and build the walls up and have a nice high roof. So, okay, we can deal with that. And then a few days later, so are the roofs starting to After a nerve-wracking period of shoring up the building and removing the contents safely, the roof collapse now seems to have been a classic blessing in disguise. The roof originally was projected to come down this month, but Ken Harden notes that's all done now, ahead of schedule. The site is starting to take shape as a concert venue instead of a call center. Hardin says In Concert Sierra has raised $10 million of its five-year fundraising plan for construction of the complex. The estimated final cost is $14 to $16 million. In Concert Sierra's executive director, Julie Hardin, says despite the moments of catastrophe, the process continues to be magical. She explains her personal stake in the project. Since I moved here, which was in 1992, I've been hearing about we're going to have a performing arts center. They talked about, we've talked about having it at the Miners Foundry, um, you know, all, a lot of uh, different ideas. And so, and a lot, of, a lot of great people, great minds coming together to try and make it work, and it just never has. So, you know, I remember it since 1992 for myself. It was really a dream, probably when In Concert started, 2010, when we had the choir and the orchestra started up, you know, with Ken Hardy mm -hmm. conducting. And, um, and I really wanted something for Ken. My, you know, he's not only our artistic director, he's my husband. So I really wanted his dreams to come through. So this really helps that, even though I wish it was 10 years ago. <laughs> We're a little older now. 
In concert, Sierra continues to think big. It's aiming to have its first concert in the new hall in October 2024. This is Joyce Miller for KVMR. Nevada County has seen a spike in overdoses since 2019, and since that time, both the county and local activists have mobilized to respond. Thursday is International Overdose Awareness Day, and in honor of the day, Al Stoller spoke with two people on the front lines, Bethany Wilkins of Yuba Harm Reduction and Toby Gavin of Nevada County Public Health. In March 2020, we first noticed that there was an increase in accidental overdose deaths caused by fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid that's about 50 to 100 times as potent as morphine. Really across the drug supply, in terms of street drugs, counterfeit pills, meth, party drugs like Molly, ecstasy. It's cheap. It's being laced into other drugs to increase the high and and extend the high. We've seen this happening across the United States. It started on the East Coast and then moved to the Midwest. And then March 2020 is when it first arrived in Nevada County. How big a problem are opioids in Nevada County? In 2019, we had 18 accidental overdose deaths in the county, and none of those involved fentanyl. And then moving into 2020, when we first saw fentanyl arrive, we had 30 seven uh, overdose deaths, and 19 of those involved fentanyl. So really a doubling of the overdose rate. In 2020, Nevada County had the second highest uh, opioid overdose rate of any county in California. Per 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 100,000, yeah. So we had the second highest rate in 2020. The last two years, we've actually seen a decline. So we went from the second highest rate of opioid overdose deaths per 100,000 to actually being even with the statewide average. I think we peaked at 34.7 deaths per 100,000 residents in 2020. And in 2022, we're down to 18. So we've made some significant progress over the last couple of years, but it's still an ongoing issue. In 2023, we've seen an increase in suspected overdoses that have been happening in the community. There just seems to be some pretty potent fentanyl out there this year, more so than in previous years. The challenge is that fentanyl is incredibly potent, 50 to 100 times as strong as morphine. And so as a result, it's very easy to overdose. Essentially, it tricks your brain into telling your body to stop breathing. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lack of oxygen to the brain, lack of oxygen to the body, and as a result, people die. It's about three to five minutes before brain damage starts to occur. So we have a small window of time. We're very thankful that Narcan exists. It's the opioid overdose reversal drug. It's it's a nasal spray, so it works kind of like an allergy medication, but um, it can reverse an overdose. And, and it's saved a lot of lives in Nevada County already. And we're just trying to make sure that people have access to that so that they can help out in a situation where people are overdosing. Bethany, what are we doing here in Nevada County in response? In 2020, when we saw the fentanyl deaths increasing in our community, we mobilized pretty quickly and started distributing Narcan, which is the nasal spray that reverses an opioid overdose. We started distributing in Condon Park in Grass Valley to start. And from there, it kind of snowballed and we started training bars and event centers how to administer Narcan in case there's someone that overdoses on their premises. Then this expanded into schools and we have trained just about all of the schools in Nevada County, how to administer Narcan, how to identify an opioid overdose so that we can keep each other safe. 
From there, it has also expanded into Yuba Harm Reduction Collective. We provide street-based outreach to predominantly our unhoused community in Nevada County. So we're providing them with Narcan and fentanyl testing strips um, to stay safe and stay alive if they're using. How easy is it to administer Narcan? It's very easy. I compare it to Flonase, the allergy spray. It goes up the nostril and you just press a plunger with your thumb and it mists out the medication. What that does is it travels through the mucous membrane into your brain and it knocks the opioids off of the opioid receptors in the brain. So that allows your body to start breathing again naturally. The other great thing about Narcan is it's completely safe to use on someone if they're not overdosing. There is no harm done if you do not have opioids in your system. If people want to get in touch. Call or text 530-388-6364. Bethany. We're on Instagram at Yuba Harm Reduction. We have a warm line Monday through Friday from 10 to 6, 530-362-8163. Check out the website, nooverdosenc.com. It's K-N-O-W, overdosenc.com. There's something coming up tomorrow. We are providing a community opioid overdose prevention and Narcan training virtually from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. via Zoom. How can people connect? Go to nooverdosenc.com, K-N-O-W, overdosenc, and there's going to be a link on the homepage to hop on that Zoom call at uh, 12 p.m. 12 p.m. Thursday. 12 p.m. Thursday, August 31st. I've been speaking with Bethany Wilkins of Yuba Harm Reduction and Toby Gavin of the Nevada County Public Health Department. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, August 30th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and from the Pizza Joint, offering a variety of New York-style pizza specialties prepared with fresh ingredients by the slice or pie, plus salads, pasta, and local beer. Closed Mondays. Commercial Street, Nevada City. ThePizzaJointNC.com. And You Bet Bicycle Sales and Service in Nevada City. Locally owned, open 10 a.m. Monday through Saturday. Specialing in sales and service for mountain bikes, gravel, and e-bikes. Offering tune-ups, suspension work, wheel building, plus trail advice. YouBetBike.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night.